Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mirror Disciple podcast. And as was alluded to, not quite promised, but alluded to on the last podcast, I wanted to pull in Pastor Jason Ashley again and process with him what generosity looks like as a follower of Jesus during a time of, it could be a real time of scarcity for people, or at least perceived scarcity on the horizon for many of us, and this time of isolation when I think it becomes very easy uh, to rationalize, to justify uh, sort of hunkering down and hoarding and making sure that we're quote unquote, looking out for number one. So I invited him on uh, back on the podcast to, for us to speak, not as much maybe with our pastor's hat on, but as just uh, Jason and Jeff, two followers of Jesus who are trying to process this. Um, when it comes to COVID-19, there's kind of two pressing concerns as I see it right now. There's the obvious health concerns, which for some people might be imminent, but they're definitely looming on the horizon. What happens if I get it? What if I have underlying conditions? What about my loved ones? So there's that kind of the specter of health uh, threat that is looming. But for probably maybe more people, there there is at least what probably feels more imminent right now is the concern around finances in the economy because obviously our society and government has um, enacted some pretty significant measures and there's already been a huge amounts of layoffs. I think last week a million Canadians applied for EI. So issues of like ground level uh, daily bread and water kind of stuff is has all of a sudden just um, catapulted right to the to the front and uh, within that context Jason you and I kind of talked about it last podcast a little bit in terms of how do we continue to live into the generosity of God in this context um, so let's just start right there like we have these two concerns the health one but let's look at the finance one and what have you noticed about your own grappling with that dimension of your discipleship walk with Jesus as this whole COVID-19 thing has played out? Yeah, and that's, a, that's, a, that's something like a question I've been working on for a lot of my life, Jeff, and it gets magnified in times like these. Um, um, I am a, I'm not an ambitious, like, how can I make, you know, what can I do to make more money type person? I'm a, I mean, just to use a, like the cross word, I'm, I'm a miser um, by, by nature. Um, when I'm not thinking about who God is and who Jesus is and how God has been faithful in my life time and time again, I have a real proclivity to, um, to hoard. And I, you know, and sometimes I justify it or I've heard even other people try to like, let me off the hook and say, Oh, you know, you're not a miser. You're just, you know, you're frugal or you're, you're conservative or, um, but you know, I, I gain a lot of, or I feel a lot of temptation to, to provide my own security, um, with, with money, uh, with not so much with possessions, but with money, with my ability to, to pay for stuff, to, um, pay the bills. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not like an ostentatious, ostentatious person. I mean, I mean, I got, we have two cars, uh, neither of them, like they're all over 10 years old <laughs> and, you know, and, um, I don't have a, like the only like debt that we have is our home, you know? So I'm not like out there living on the edge, um, in terms of financially, um, so you kind of get that picture for me. And when, when situations like this come, um, 
I have a real propensity to try and like to provide for myself. And um, I guess, you know, just to share some like my history too. When I was 16, my parents were in a car accident and my dad was in a, um, a coma for uh, for four or five months. And then finally, um, then finally he died. And um, the, my, I remember that like still very clearly, my reaction to that was to, to financially batten down the hatches to, mm. um, you know, for my mom and I, you know, I, was, I remember talking with her about, you know, stuff that we could sell and sort of circle the economic wagons for our family. Cause I wasn't sure how we were going to make it after that. My dad, you know, he owned a, a small grocery store and my mom had a great job, you know, she was, and we were just fine. And it's interesting because my mom's response was quite the opposite. You know, she would uh, do some retail therapy every once in a while to, okay, yeah. to work through it. And I remember just feeling like, mom, like, what are you doing? I remember even asking uh, my aunt. So I'm 16 years old and my aunt and I asked her, you know, like if things really get bad, can we move in with you? You know, and just like, I might, and she, she sort of like, oh, that's sweet, Jason, but you're not going to have to move in with us. And so just like, that's sort of my response, especially to, to, crisis and catastrophe is like, how can I provide for myself, especially financially? Um, so, you know, this situation comes and it's funny, like I, in some ways I feel differently about this. Um, you know, like right now I don't feel too much fear, um, in terms of finance, uh, in terms of financial stuff. Um, and I mean, like we, we, paid our tithe or gave our tithe is probably a better way to say it. We gave our tithe uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just like we normally would. And, you know, right now it's really pretty easy for me uh, in that, like our, you know, like our, um, like I'm still being paid by the church um, at you know, the normal rate and stuff. So, and, and Tracy has a, a really stable job with the school. And so she's, um, um, you know, pages. So not, not financially, not much has changed for us, but it is like, as I look out the horizon and I look at things that could potentially be coming, um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but like there's, there's temptation for me to start thinking like, Oh, you know, I, I should be pulling back. I should be, um, being more careful, uh, or being more cautious. And, and there's definitely things that we've put off, you know, things that I was like, Oh, that would be a great buy. And there's all sorts of sales on right now. People like sounds like yeah. stuff, even that I've been like, kind of been on my list and like, Oh, when this goes on sale, I'm going to get it. And I'm like, no, now's not a good time for that. So, um, that sort of thing is happening. Um, but you know, I think I was thinking about it some this morning about our conversation and just how, for me, at least a lot of this question around generosity, um, comes down to like at least one aspect of it, a major aspect of it for me is trust. You know, who do I trust? Who do I put my faith in? Do I put my faith in, um, not so much money, but my ability to care for myself with money or do I put my faith in God? And, um, a couple of weeks ago, I just, you know, as, um, I, I preached on a sermon on, um, Jesus in Nazareth when he's in the, the, uh, synagogue and he quotes from Isaiah and and then at the end you know his the people at the synagogue are all super amazed by him the text says Luke tells us and then they say you know do what you um, do here in your hometown which you did in Capernaum and, and then Jesus quotes um, he said you know, or not he doesn't actually quote but he says you know that um, God didn't go to uh, he didn't provide for the widows of Israel he provided for the widow in Zarephath uh, in the time of famine and he's referring to to first kings and that I was drawn to that text and just, you know, even that sort of stuck in my head. And now as we get into this national crisis, you know, in, in biblical times, that was a national crisis. There was a drought in the land and mm -hmm. people were 
were, were starving. People were going without food. It's an agricultural culture. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, they are like without rain, there's no crops and without crops, there's no food and without food, people are dying. So, um, and in the story, you know, first, um, this is like our first introduction to Elijah and he, you know, he tells King Ahab, um, you know, there's going to be no rain and it's a direct judgment to that, to that, um, to that King and to the people at the time, to Israel at the time, because they had, they had, left God, the one true God, and they began worshiping an idol um, called Baal, um, or oftentimes said Baal, <laughs> but uh, in Hebrew, Baal. And it was the God, like he was a storm God. He was the rain God, the God they worshiped and paid homage to, so he would provide rain for their for their crops. Well, um, God said, like, I'm the one who's actually in control, and you're not going to have any rain to show you that this Baal false idol is just that, it's a false idol. So, Elijah does that faithfully, risks his life, goes and challenges King Ahab, who's like, uh, just before Elijah comes on the scene, he's like listed as like the worst king in Israel's history. Mm. And like the worst, like they've all been bad. They've been increasingly bad, but he's the worst. And um, for any of you who know those stories about Ahab and Jezebel, I mean, they were horrible people. Um, and so Elijah risks his life and God sends, and then so to like kind of, um, to reward him, so to speak, uh, for his faithfulness, he sends him out to Kareth, which is this this remote valley near where he lived on the wrong side of the Jordan, to be basically get a meal in the morning and a meal in the evening served to him by ravens, and the rest of the day basically in quarantine, in isolation. And um, so he does this, you know, and and he's there for enough time that the little brook that he's there been drinking out of it dries up because of the drought. So not only has um, Elijah been faithful, and then kind of rewarded with you know run for your life to this remote valley to hide but also he's also caught up in the situation of the drought you know and so it's really easy from like a real um maybe um like from an immature christian standpoint to say like well he did everything right he was obedient why isn't god blessing him with you know like a palace or at least go back to your home and live happily ever after you know but he goes and he's 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 caught up in this this national crisis in in Israel. And so, and then he gets to the next part where God sends him to Zarephath, which, you know, for most of us, I'm like, I had to look it up myself. You know, I've been mm. pastor for 10 years. I'm like, Zarephath, where's that? It's actually near Sidon, which is um, the land where like, like the homeland of Baal worship. And so God sends Elijah to like the heartland of storm God worship to go and to then rely on a widow. And <clears throat> There's more to all that, but the interesting thing for me is that Elijah goes there and he asks this widow to provide for him, and and the story tells us that our scripture tells us that she's out picking up sticks um, to to make a fire to make one last meal. She says, you know, all I have is a handful. This says literally a handful of flour and some oil. I'm gathering sticks to make a fire so I can make one last meal for my son and me, and then we'll die. Mm. And you know, for those of us who, or for those of you who maybe don't know much about like ancient Near Eastern culture and social strata and all that, but I mean, she's a widow. She's basically at the bottom rung. She's like the most vulnerable people or most vulnerable um, category in their society. You know, oftentimes, unless if you were a widow, unless you had an adult son to take care of you, you were in real trouble, usually left to begging uh, just to get by. Um, and so she doesn't have an adult son. She has a young son that she's so She's like a single mom, but with no ability to work or to provide for herself. And so she's got nothing but a handful of flour 
and she gives it to Elijah. She makes um, bread for him, mm-hmm. and and he t- after um, she or before she does it, actually, Elijah. This is like thing that's been caught me the last couple of days. Is Elijah, Elijah tells her, "Don't be afraid. Make me this bread, and God will provide for you." And and she does. She trusts him. And so I've been thinking some about how um, about generosity, especially in the sense of of obedience and trust. You know that. Um, I was thinking some, you know, like there's, you know, it's be really easy, you know, for people to just to discount what I say, you know, oh, well, you're a pastor and you're paid by the church. And so of course you're going to say, you know, we should continue giving to the church. I actually, I'm not going to say that. I mean, not, not, that's not that there's more to it than that. I mean, if you are, if your financial situation is kind of the same as it was, you know, a few weeks ago, then yeah, please continue to do that because I think, you know, the church is going to be relied on pretty heavily in the next few months. Um, not only by people of the church, but also by people of our community, um, not only in terms of like benevolence and maybe uh, um, gift certificates for food and stuff like that, but but like spiritual and emotional care and and questions about big questions about life. Like, why does stuff like this happen and where is God in this? And so I think like, you know, to to continue in generosity with that. But um, but for me, it's more of a question of of trust. You know, where do I put my trust? And, you know, if you've lost your job, if you have been laid off, then, yeah, I think like you would give a commensurate with that. Like you would um, give like a proportion of that, you know, not not on your your previous salary. And if, you know, if, so if your salary is zero, then, then I would say give according to that. <laughs> so, you know, that's, um, but. What would but you if say, you're still, can I interject for a second? What yeah. would you say? To someone, because I can, I can see how a, uh, a scripture like you just quoted could be used in a really manipulative way, right? Mm, Look what yeah. this widow did for Elijah. Uh, maybe I want to frame myself as a pastor, as kind of a modern day prophet or yeah. uh, God's man in charge of this church or this situation. If you yeah. don't have a lot of money, you should still give it or a large portion or all of it to me. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that is playing out amongst some uh, wealth and prosperity gospels where that yeah. act of surrender is being seen as a great um, act of faith that God will financially reward. What would you say to someone who might be tempted to either hear the passage like that or is hearing that from a person in who they regard, whether they are or not, they regard as being in spiritual authority um, who might be trying to leverage that passage in that way. Uh, Most crass answer, I'd be like, shut them off. (laughs) Turn off the TV. That's that's really (laughs) good answer. (laughs) Or close down that YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I I would say... um, you know, this, I don't know, there's a saying, and it has lots of applications, but one of them is like, as pastors, you know, I would say stick with a pastor, one who's faithful to God, who loves Jesus, but also who wants more for you than they want from you. Mm. And, you know, that's something, if you find that you have a pastor who, or a spiritual leader, I don't even know if I want to say the word pastor, I kind of reserve that for people who actually do care for their flock. Um, a spiritual leader um, who seems like they want more from you than for you, I would say that there's lots of great pastors who, who are connected with Jesus, who will teach you how to follow Jesus, who will help you 
experience Christ-filled life and, and will want more for you than from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I would say that's, I think there's all sorts of trouble with that biblically. You know, I think sometimes too, it can, um, some pastors can, I shouldn't say pastors, some spiritual leaders, especially in that health and wealth, uh, prosperity gospel kind of direction can play to our greed as well. Yeah. And say, you know, if, if you give faithfully in this, God will multiply what you have. So kind of, it's like, kind of like, like a spiritual, um, slot machine. Yeah. We're getting like, rich quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. You put in a few tokens, I mean, they might be your last tokens, but you drop those in and maybe even more. Like if you, if they're your last ones, then God will really honor that. And then you pull the, the, yeah, pull maybe the handle the on the line of credit and put that on it too. Right? Yeah. Then yeah. you pull the handle on that and God's, you're going to hit the jackpot, you know? And, um, I think, I mean, there's all sorts of trouble with that, you know, because that really is playing to our greed rather than faithfulness. Totally. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's something like the widow, you know, like you see, like, if you want to like stick with the text, I mean, she didn't hit the jackpot. She had enough food for her, her son and Elijah, which mm-hmm. if you're looking like at dying, that is the jackpot, but it's not like, Oh, well, you know, behind door number two, we've got your new mansion and right. you know, your life on the hill. Actually, yeah. it's, you're going to get just enough food. Like you're, you're not going to have meat and you're not going to have fresh veggies and stuff like that. You're going to have enough flour. Like it's just not going to run out. You're going to have mm-hmm. enough flour and oil to, to make it. And, and Elijah says, you'll have it enough until the rain stops or sorry, until the rain starts, sure. you know? So, um, in that sense, you know, in both Elijah and this widow's faithfulness is rewarded with um, subsistence. I mean, <laughs> you know, like you just, you're gonna, you're gonna make it. So, yeah, I, and that's a, that's an important, I think that's an important um, element or dimension of the text to bring out because again, we can often sometimes think of God's provision as when we get these uh, big noticeable outstanding like literally standout uh, times of provision we can thank god for it but god's uh, promise is often in response to our need for daily bread right like there's a reason why jesus teaches us to pray give us today our daily bread he doesn't teach us to pray give us the next decade's worth of bread and meat and harvest all in one go yeah um for, for many reasons part of which that that would be uh, completely destructive to us on an individual level, spiritually, and in terms of the community, right? That would actually precipitate not trusting God. Cause what you're essentially saying mm-hmm. is once I just ask God for this one thing, I'm set. My dependence mm-hmm. on God just precipitously drops or my, what I perceive to be my need to depend on God. And so that, that theme of God provides, but he often provides just enough for the next day, for the next week, for the next month, yeah. Um, I think it's a, that's a theme that kind of move. What are you talking about? Their children going through Israel with the manna, um, yeah. you know, Jesus's prayer. There's, you know, that, that kind of gets repeated throughout scripture. And I think that's a good kind of ballpark to set our expectations with during this time is to say, God will be faithful. God will provide. Yeah. Um, but we want to be careful not to presume not to have a very defined picture or a culturally defined picture of God's provision will look like I'm Mm. either going to be able to sustain this, whatever lifestyle I have to this point indefinitely, or even it will get bigger. I've heard, I've seen some people talk about how, Oh, this is, 
a time for God's people. We're going to trust in God and then God's going to bring us into a new level of wealth and stuff. Like I've seen some of that stuff um, that's been shared by other people on my Facebook feed. And I just think that's really cringy and heartbreaking. And it just sets uh, us up as Christians for real disappointment. We think it's with God because we think those expectations are given by God and they're not. They're just given by people who maybe some of them are well-intended and they're trying to give hope, but, uh, I think a lot of it is really, like you said, it's driven by greed and it's trying to see everything through this lens of, well, God's blessing. Sure. I mean, it means more than material prosperity, but it's got to mean at least that because there's no category for prosperity for them other than, well, wouldn't that just mean I have more money in the bank? I have new and better cars. I have new and better economic prospects Mm -hmm. all the time. And that just becomes a runaway train which uh, I think eventually just slams into the wall of reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and actually, as you're talking, maybe think of, I think his name is Gary Thomas. He wrote a book, um, sacred marriage, I think. But anyways, the, the, the caption at the bottom of it is, you know, like he's talking about marriage and it's not so much to make us happy, but to make us holy. Mm. And I think, you know, God does that with our life. I mean, big picture, like God's, working in our life, not so much to make us happy though. I think God loves it when we're happy, but to make us holy, like that's his bigger goal. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I think you're right. I mean, like, I think one of the real dangers I feel it in myself and I see it in the church as well, that when everything's cared for, it's really, really easy to take God for granted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thanks God for a beautiful day, you know, bless me today, check in tomorrow, you know, but I know in my own life when I've been through crises, um, like, man, like I am relying on God every minute. And I think he, he loves that. Not like, oh, I'm going to manipulate you and bring you horrible stuff to make you need me more. But, but I think, I don't think, I think God is uh, totally capable of, of giving us temptations and testing um, or allowing temptation, mm-hmm. uh, allowing us to be tested so that we, we rely on him and we take those into the times, you know, to the good times. Well, and that's what I, that's one of the themes of, Deuteronomy when you know when um, when God leads his people out you know one of the things that he says in Deuteronomy is before they're going into the promised land is he says to that new generation like the Lord brought you through the wilderness to test you and to see what was in your heart right because it's also revealing to us right like this for me when I heard about the news and I began you know the dominoes begin to fall in your mind in terms of like oh what will this mean for my job or my wife's job or people that I know's job and you kind of and all that begins to Um, swirl around in your head and then you catch yourself being like oh what's this should should I start saving more money should I in these areas where I am giving where I am and have been trying to live generously there's this instinctive uh, retraction or or temptation to retract right away and be like well maybe this is the time to kind of put my take my foot off the gas and again that shows me what's in my heart and for me it has been uh, really humbling to realize how my generosity is often tied to, um, I, I don't know how to say this other than it's easy to be, it's easy, it's easier for me to be generous when I can see and anticipate two weeks from now, I'm going to get paid two months from now, yeah. I'm going to get paid two years from now, I'm going to get paid when that timeline past three months, six months becomes even a little bit lower resolution. Yeah. It's really 
um, em- embarrassing for me how quickly thoughts of, well, yeah, I wonder what would be prudent. I start using language of prudence, responsibility. Yeah. And yet the huge <clears throat> gift of this time for me personally as a disciple is to realize, you know, what some of us are experiencing now, which is maybe we're working from home and, and having a vague sense of is our job in jeopardy or might it be long-term? We're not sure. Or we're home because our jo- we have been laid off. All of us are in a really positive position from the pers- biblical perspective of trusting God, because that's the way most Christians have lived for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And even in our situation, it's still one of unbelievable privilege in the sense that it's not like widows and orphans in the first century. Well, there was still like a social safety net. There was at least something. You know, there, there were all these food cupboards and programs and the, you know, the government's giving an address every day saying, this is how we're going to help you. And whether, you're not, whether or not you even agree with any of those policies or plans, the fact that we have a government that is bending over backwards to try and come up with a solution and, and not just say, mm-hmm. well, uh, live and die by the sword and this is the way the world is and right. uh, the strong will survive and that's just par for the course which would have been much more akin to what the early church would have experienced in situations like this yeah, I think sure. it's a really cool time to realize we're going to all learn I think what discipleship we're going to learn have a new appreciation for discipleship and the challenges and opportunities for discipleship in a context yeah. where the overall kind of scaffolding of our expectations of reality are a little bit shaken. And I, after I realized that I kind of said, now I'm kind of excited to continue on in generosity because the fleshly unredeemed part of me, that's kind of like, no, 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 this is a time to kind of like rethink things. I have this counter energy. That's like, no, like I want to test God in this. I want to bring to God what he, um, what is rightfully his. And, but I also want to continue to trust in Jesus and actively trust by looking for ways to be generous, to be supporting small businesses, to be looking for ways to um, donate, not just my money, but my time and my energy in ways that are risky and self-sacrificial. Again, not presuming there's going to be some windfall out of it at a material level, but Mm -hmm. anticipating that that is a, that is a, posture of faith and love that God will absolutely bless. Yeah. 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 As you're talking, I know like you've been giving some thought to this as well. I'm kind of what sort of things have been going through your mind. That's, that's probably one of the big ones. Uh, I wrote it down a few days ago that, uh, you know, 99% of Christians who've ever lived probably the vast majority who are on earth right now uh, are in context where this is their daily reality to begin with. Um, Their jobs are precarious. Their um, horizon line of what they can expect for themselves, their families either greatly limited and diminished, and they're still called to be faithful in that. And so it's been a real challenge to me to say, wow, I've had so much of my prosperity and privilege even to this point, sort of just maybe abstractly threatened. And that's already caused some anxiety in me. It's like, wow, I need to learn to spiritually toughen up 
like my brothers and sisters, even around the world right now, who, again, they're maybe in places where they don't have access to even just basic vaccines. Forget about COVID-19, just vaccines. Mm -hmm. They don't have access to uh, any kind of anything corresponding to first world healthcare, Mm -hmm. Uh, not even where they live, but near them. Like they, they, they're not even, you know, they can't, can't even just hop in a cab and an hour later they're at a hospital. Uh, So I think that's really been a, a fruitful thing for me to think through is to realize, wow, like I have a lot to learn from Christians who are radically faithful, probably more faithful than I am in context with way less security and certainty. Um, you know, I have been thinking through, I went to Proverbs a lot because Proverbs for me is a good book when you're in uncharted territory and you're kind of coming back to general principles and guidelines and orientations of the heart. You know, yeah. some of the big ones for me are Proverbs 21, 26, the righteous give and do not hold back. And what I like about that proverb is that it's not asterisked. It's not like, well, get, you know, the posture of the righteous heart will be to give faithfully to God, faithfully to other people. Proverbs 11, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more, but there's also one who withholds and yet what they receive is just increasing want. A generous man will prosper. Um, He who waters others will himself be refreshed. And I think that's an important word too, in the sense of as a general principle, uh, hoarding is just counterintuitive you know it might feel like the rational reasonable thing to do yeah um but in a really strange uh pattern that you see in life it's like yeah the person who's very open-handed and generous and looking for ways to obviously responsibly take care of themselves but to care for other people they seem to be replenished and those who hoard um even if they quote unquote succeed by hoarding money they experience a mat, you know, deep levels of poverty at many, yeah. many other levels. Yeah, they never have enough. Yeah, and and yeah, and even if they have the money, they they don't have the the um, the emotional depth and the emotional prosperity, the relational prosperity, and their wealth becomes a trap because it's just doubles down into the cycle of well, just a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more in the bank, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you talked about this coming out of your experience as a teenager that. It sounded like for you, because money is money is tied to emotion for all of us, yeah. and money symbolizes something. It sounded like for you, money really symbolized security. Yeah. And, yeah. and for all of us, we have the way that money speaks to us. For some people, money is power. For some people, money represents freedom. Mm-hmm. For some people, um, yeah, money is security. So knowing that, I think, is really, really important. And yeah, I was just kind of um, thinking through, that uh, was another proverb that I had looked up. Yeah, I mean, this dovetails with what you were talking about from First Kings, Proverbs 22, he who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. And again, there's just that example of looking beyond yourself during these times and remembering that there is still ministry to be done in and through your life. Yeah. You know, one thing as you're talking with Proverbs, and I was thinking about it earlier too, um, yesterday some, was at first I was thinking about it, I kind of like the the crux of the issues between faith and wisdom. 
or between generosity and wisdom. And, you know, it's the thing, like I had to change the word wisdom because I think like there's secular, like, I don't know what's smart secularly, you know, uh, yep. versus wisdom because wisdom, I want to reserve that for wisdom that it's described in scripture is like wisdom is, is that mix of, of smart choices, but faithful smart choices. Mm-hmm. You know, like wisdom is wisdom that, or wisdom is the sort or the way of thinking that follows God, that is faithful to God. Right. And, and so I, I had to kind of like recalibrate that because it's not really a dichotomy between <clears throat> what's the wise thing to do and what's the, the faithful thing to do. Yeah, because that's a good word. Yeah. Because the, the faithful thing to do is the wise thing to do. It's, right. it's kind of trying to step out of what like secularly, what's, what's smart secularly, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with somebody without any sort of faith, <clears throat> without any sort of faith at all, what's the kind of smart thing to do? Which is a different like, way of kind of framing what's the strategically self-interested thing. To right. Do. right. Right. That's shorthand for exactly what you said. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's yeah. best for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to the necessarily to the tremendous exclusion of other people, but now that the cage has been rattled, mm-hmm. let's again, draw things back to looking up for number one and mm-hmm. which means at least me, maybe me and my family, but it, it kind of invokes this tribalism. Whereas for yeah. a Christian, like you said, the faithful thing is always the wise thing. And generosity is one of always those wise responses. We might, we might be limited in our ability to be generous with time, energy, or money, but that's yeah. still always the wise and faithful response. And it's always done with when a heart is set on looking out for the true number one, which is Jesus and not yeah. myself and my own interest. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How, um, so what would, what practically would you be encouraging people to think through a process hmm. as, and maybe especially at, for those who are feeling that turbulence of job insecurity or uncertainty, or are now in the valley of, I just am trying to get through to the government to get EI because I have been laid off. Um, yeah. I think, I think maybe um, for, for someone who, if your financial situation is kind of the same as it was a month ago, I would encourage you to prayerfully um, ask God and, and short of like a hard do this, you know, like continue on uh, with how you would normally give for somebody who's um, if your situation has drastically changed um, or even just changed period. um, I, um, I would encourage you to pray, to do similar, like to pray, like, Lord God, please show me what I should do. Um, show me not what's kind of secular, smart, but what's faithfully wise. And, and trust God in that. Um, I feel like that's, that's the best thing. You know, like it, yeah, I don't, I don't know where else I'd rather me or anybody in our churches be than I'm doing the best I can to stay right where God, or to do right what God wants me to do. I don't know, how would you, what would you say to somebody? Well, I, I think what you said is definitely where I would absolutely start, which is what we don't want to do is lapse into a secular response to a crisis like this and to get our, not just our talking points, but our thinking and response points from the culture around us mm-hmm. is to say, we go to God, we say, God, you are on the throne. You are Lord over the storm. We are still called to be faithful and to honor and to glorify you in all circumstances and to be thankful, including this one. So we can at least 
we want to always be orientating ourselves towards God and always to be praying when we're uncertain, right? Like that's really, really important across any um, area of our life where we're experiencing turbulence, that we should be slow to just jump to the first strategy that presents itself to us or that we yeah. find leaping off of our screens yeah. and dedicating that to, uh, in prayer. And then, yeah, I, I would just, as a general principle say in times of plenty and in times of lack, generosity is just a principle that we should be living into, right? Like we don't ask the question, well, when times are good, we obviously love, but when times are difficult, love goes out the window, right? right. When, when times yeah. are good, uh, self-sacrificial service, that obviously makes sense. When times are difficult, we kind of shelve that. And so I think for me, what I would challenge, what I've been challenging myself with is, is not to say, again, is it wise or prudent to really lean into generosity? Uh, that's an incorrect, unbiblical way of framing it. I think what I'm trying to challenge myself with is to say, what does generosity look like mm -hmm. um, in a context generosity of time of energy and you know focus mm -hmm. and intention and generosity of money what do mm -hmm. those three things look like in this particular context now i might not know the answer to that i pray i'm reading other things but what mm -hmm. i don't do and what i've really tried to not do is to avoid any of those uh, difficult questions or to avoid realizing oh i'm really tempted to kind of you know, not just isolate myself physically, but maybe isolate myself more financially or, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of turn inward. So I think by praying and by keeping that value front and center during a time where mm -hmm. maybe the world around us, maybe not quite yet, but I think eventually is going to start saying, yeah, like strategic self-interest is going to start to look really, really wise in the eyes of the world. Yeah. You know, everyone's generally speaking wants to be generous. And I think many people will be generous so long as it's convenient. Yeah. Again, I want to use this time to prepare and say, God, I want to not just maintain whatever level of generosity across those dimensions I had two months ago or six months ago, but I want you to deepen my yeah. heart um, towards greater Christ likeness in this area. And so regardless of if we find ourselves currently unemployed, everything's the same in a sense, maybe we're out there working because we're an essential service. You know, uh, we have tremendous job certainty all the way to through uncertainty. And I uh, maybe I'm facing, I don't even know what work in my field looks like in a year yeah. from now. Yeah. Um, I think we can all still be working through that question of if faithfulness and generosity is godly wisdom always and i would say it is what does that look like for me and we're probably going to need to have conversations with friends like you and i have had and different people have had in their life where that's not maybe god's not just going to pop that into our heads yeah. but i know certainly for me it's meant continuing to give faithfully is a, a matter of priority to the church because like you said i think the needs are just going to increase in the months ahead and it's also yeah. been about looking at how do I, how, do, how does our family strategically spend our resources in a way that um, serves our local 
neighbors and being strategic and how we support small businesses and individuals within, within our community. And then making sure that we understand we do have some money in savings. And for me to say, again, that's ultimately that's God's money. Yeah. So, you know, that, that isn't just for the strong family. That's not just a, um, a treasure chest for us to mine if we need it. That is ultimately for God and his purposes and to be surrender that to God and to say, God, in the months or years ahead, if there are other people who genuinely need that, give us wisdom to know um, and and direct the people to us that might need use uh, of those funds. Uh, Because again, it just pulls me back right back to that thing of generosity is much easier when you realize everything that you have is from God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing that, I mean, I know I find myself thinking like this and I hear other people too is a real, um, to forget that reality. Yeah, start thinking like I earn this and like, God, I'm going to give you some of my money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it sneaks in the door through, in one sense, kind of virtuous, um, virtuous traits like uh, being prudent, being careful, being conservative, you mentioned that, right? right? And being responsible. And while obviously those are things that, you know, even the book of Proverbs talks about that, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of celebration of saving and being prudent and thinking ahead in Proverbs, for example, that's never condemned in scripture. Um, But we always have to be careful that sort of those virtues in isolation and then kind of ramped up to an 11 out of 10 when they aren't being in a sense co-practiced with not, not the counter virtue. I I guess it is a counter virtue in some ways, but instead of saving for um, myself or for my family for a rainy day, also making sure that I'm giving generously in the moment, you know, if, if we don't have that tension and counter tension, then it can really just become a, a baptized idol, right? Yeah. Like I'm saving money and I'm doing it to be responsible, but like you maybe um, might say, you know, that, that can just come out of deep anxiety and insecurity and me wanting more and more money in the bank as a way to say, now I can breathe, breathe easy. Right. My trust is in the amount in the bank. It's not actually in God. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, just some, um, you know, about the idea of trust. And I was actually listening to Craig Rochelle on Sunday, a pastor down in Oklahoma. And, and you know, he's talking about trust. And it got me thinking about, you know, like, sometimes we feel trust. You know, like, we feel like, God, I trust you. I feel like I trust you. Mm, right. And I don't know, and like, this might totally wreck people's opinion of me as a pastor. There's a lot of times when I don't feel trust, yep. but rather I act like I trust, like I actively trust God. So I do things that even though I'm like, like inside my, my heart or my soul is like, like screaming or my head needs like my rational. I was like, scream, this is stupid. What are you doing? Don't do this. And I just like make up my mind. Like, this is the right thing to do. This is the wise, the faithful wise thing to do. And you just do it. Like that's, I mean, Jesus has parables about that, about the one son, you know, who says like, yeah, sure dad, I'll do it. And then does not And the one son who says like, Oh, I don't want to No way, but actually does it. Like, God honors, um, he honors the actual, uh, trust versus the, even people who's like, Oh yeah, I trust God. And then actually behind the scenes don't, you know, totally. 
And I think that's part of what Paul talks about when he talks about, you know, bringing your body into submission. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't follow the impulses of our fleshly body, not necessarily our material bodies, but that part of us that just is jumps right away to I'm the most important self-serving interest. Mm -hmm. And we have to, uh, when you were saying that, it reminded me, you know, Jordan Peterson has that line where they say, do you believe in God? And he's like, well, I act as if God existed. Mm-hmm. kind of a cop out and you know mm-hmm. that's a discussion for another time but it's sort of that same principle it's like do you always feel faith filled and faithful and excited and passionate and uh, trust and and um, obedience to god comes easily it's like no but i act into those things i live into those things because i can't yeah. let the impulses and desires as, as muddied as they are become the foundation and the fuel out of which I obey. I have to go into the scriptures, um, steal myself in prayer, and then do the hard task of saying, you know, to use an analogy that, you know, you and I know, it's like, in the moment, do I feel like exercising right now? No, but I'm going to exercise because that is the right thing to do. It's important, short-term, long-term. I'm going to feel better after I do it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And that's the cool thing about like, you know, when we actually, it's kind of like that, like AC current, like alternating between desire and will like that reinforces each other, you know? So there's times when you're like, man, I don't feel generous, but you do like you give generously. It reinforces the generosity. So like next time you you might feel a little bit more generous and then, and, and and then there's sometimes too, where you're like, I just feel like I just want to do it and you do it. And then that strengthens you for that time when you're like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this, but I know once I, once I do this generous thing, like I know how I'll feel and it will be better. And yeah. It's, it's learning about paying attention to those immediate blessings that often do come with obeying God. Right. You're like, you get up on Sunday, you're like, Oh, don't feel like going to church and you make the commitment. You show up at church and there was a conversation or part of the message or a song or whatever it is, but God, put a little impression on your heart and you're like, wow, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And what you think is, or I've had people say to me, wow, I'm really glad I came to church today. I almost didn't because X, Y, and Z. Right. And I totally get that and understand it, but remember that next time you're tempted, right? Yeah. And you're like, I don't feel like working out. You want to go through that process and kind of hold what it feels like to be done a hard workout in your mind and to say, there are these endorphins that are going to rush in. I'm going to feel great. I don't feel great right now. I'm not motivated. Mm-hmm. But half an hour later, 45 minutes later, I will feel this way. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like being generous. But whenever I've trusted God and continued in faithful giving and look for other ways to sacrificially do without in this area of my life so that I can give this these funds to someone else, I love that high of, you know, giving in this way. And if I remember that, you're right. It, it does, it builds an, an interior momentum that makes it easier every single, t- a little bit easier every time to yeah. choose God's path. Yeah. And even if sometimes like, you know, hopefully because people, like, people might take this like as a, as a um, formula that we're putting out, you know, like, you know, trust it. If you give, like eventually you'll still feel great, you know? So like, it's still sort of about you, but you may not, <laughs> you may be like, man, I still wish I hadn't have done that, but yeah, I see definitely. how it blessed that person. Like I see yeah. what God did with that and yeah. it's still good. Even if I don't feel 
like uh, wonderful about it. You know, like I see God acting faithfully in that. I see God yeah. blessing that person. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't, I think that's a good word. I wouldn't want to, yeah, I wouldn't want to either intonate that somehow there's always this like mountaintop yeah. high experience, but at the same time as a Christian, like knowing that you're doing something that pleases God brings mm-hmm. its own, at least kind of strengthening. Like, yeah. you know, when you, when you fight against the temptation to go down a path that you know is wrong or self-serving or dark and you um, even in a small way, you do something that you're like, I know God is pleased with this. There's a strengthening there. Right. And that might be the the extent of the emotional quote unquote blessing that you're just like, wow, that felt good to battle against this impulse and to choose in God's power this. And yeah, it wasn't like the heavens opened up and light came down or, Maybe the person on the receiving end was just like, Hey, thanks. But you're like, you know, in yourself, you're like, that was the right thing to do. And that's a, that's a good feeling. And I think as a Christian, that is part of the reward is knowing yeah. that even if no one else ever sees this, even if nothing quote unquote significant comes out of it in terms of a return on investment for yourself, yeah. you have pleased God. And I think that does mean something to every Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good thoughts there, Jason. I really appreciate you taking some extra time for us. And uh, I know people were really challenged and encouraged by your interview last week. So we'll put this up soon, but we'll leave it there for now. Continue to lean into generosity. Um, Continue to, as Jason counseled, go to God in prayer, asking God, God, in the situation, in my situation, how can I still be a conduit of blessing? to those around me, to your church, to my church family, to my neighbors, to my community. Those are things, those are questions we should all be asking. We should all be inviting God to challenge us to lean into generosity in terms of our time, energy, and money, uh, maybe in new ways and learning to trust God in new ways uh, in this context. So thanks a lot, Jason. And yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's great to, to talk to you some. Yeah. Awesome. Take care, man. Yeah, bye.